Amen. Well, let's grab our seats and we're going to uh, get into God's Word together this morning. And uh, if you've got your Bibles or it's on your Bibles on your phone, I'd like you just to turn to the book of Haggai. And uh, it's page 791 in my Bible, if that helps you. Uh, if you're not sure where, where Haggai is, it's just uh, three short books before the end of the Old Testament. So if you find your way to Matthew and flick back a few pages, you'll land in Haggai. It's only two chapters long. You'll be glad to know I'm not reading all two chapters today, but I just want to highlight a few things as we continue our series, No Holding Back. I felt God speak to me this week, and my title today is, It's Time to Rebuild. It's Time to Rebuild. Uh, that is for us as a church. That is for you today as well. I believe some people prophetically need to hear that, that uh, is, there's a rebuilding uh, that is about to happen. You may feel like some things have been destroyed, some things have been ruined in this season, some things have been flattened, maybe even your life, maybe in relational stuff, maybe within the family, but I believe that God is able to rebuild that as you partner with him better than it's ever been before. And I want to speak that over us as a church as we get into this, that what God wants to rebuild in this place is better than we've ever seen before. Amen. And so I trust that, that we believe that together this morning. And Haggai is all about God calling a people to rebuild. This story is also told in the book of Ezra. So you, you're welcome in your own time to have a look in the book of Ezra. Um, but the context of it, just to put some backstory uh, together for us today, is that 70 years earlier, the, um, the empire of Babylon had invaded Jerusalem, had laid waste to the city, had taken the people captive and led them away and had destroyed everything. And now 70 years later, which is where uh, we're kind of picking up the story, Persia uh, are now ruling. It's no longer Babylon. And the Persian king allows the people of God to re return to rebuild, to return to rebuild. They're allowed to return to Jerusalem to rebuild their city and to rebuild their lives. But in doing so, God speaks to them about one thing which he wants them to make an absolute priority in the process of rebuilding. It was to be a, an absolute focus for the people of God, and that was to rebuild the temple. All that time, the priests who, had, who were there regularly had been unable to minister in the temple. Not only that, but the people of God had been unable to gather there. Uh, through the course of the year, it was the place, the temple was the gathering place of God's people. They came together through the course of the year corporately as one to worship him, to praise him. And the strategic plan of the enemy had been to destroy the temple, which Haggai calls the house of the Lord. The strategic plan of the enemy had basically been this. We want to take away the opportunity for the people of God to gather. It was a strategic plan that he wanted to stop that from happening, to stop people from gathering and worshipping in God's house. And so the enemy sought actively and strategically to destroy the gathering of God's people. Friends, I really believe with all my heart that destroying gathering is a strategic plan of the enemy. I believe that. 
And it's this aspect of our gathering that I want to hone in on today, us coming together, rather than the theology of the temple. Because we know that in the Old Testament, the theology of the temple was they believed it was the home of God. It was, they believed it was where God dwelled, not only in heaven, but within the four physical walls of the temple. We know now that we live in New Testament days, we know that we are the temple. Everyone who loves Jesus, you're the home of God, you're where his spirit resides, that God lives in you. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. You're a temple of God if you love Jesus today. And so God doesn't physically, as it were, reside within the four walls of any set building. Yet I believe there is something absolutely crucial and that runs through the word of God, that there is something special about gathering in his house. I believe that with all my heart. I believe with all my heart that gathering is a kingdom principle. Coming together as the people of God isn't just a good suggestion from God. Oh, I've got a good idea. Why don't you just come together every once in a while? I believe it's God's will for those who love him. A couple of well-known, well, a well-known scripture in two different versions here says, in Hebrews 10 verse 25 says, Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. The NIV says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. It's interesting that even since early church days, God was having to address bad habits of not showing up. God was having to address bad habits that some fell into of not gathering with other believers. See, the Bible teaches us that church and gathering is the place where believers, not only obviously we come to worship together, to receive God's word together, but Through the Bible, we see it's an opportunity for us to gather where we can love one another, encourage one another, teach one another, motivate and spur one another on to love and good works, serve one another, be kind and compassionate to one another, honor one another. How many people know you can't do that to one another if you haven't got another? That was pretty good, actually. It wasn't even in my notes. And so gathering and our coming together is the opportunity for me both to receive and give love, encouragement, to teach, to both motivate and be motivated, spurred on, to to serve and, and, and thank God there are people who serve others here as well, to be kind and compassionate, both giving and receiving, to both show and receive honor. You know, friends, we have been through a season where gathering has been attacked, but I believe that God is saying rebuild. Rebuild. The definition of to rebuild is to repair, reassemble, restrengthen, reinforce, to build again or afresh what has been damaged. Praise God, you are not looking around today at a physical place in a state of ruin like they had in Haggai. And we are getting to the Bible in a minute, just in case anyone's worried. We're not looking at a physical place that needs rebuilding, but friends, I believe, if I've heard God correctly, that God is saying, Gathering does need rebuilding. That actually putting coming together back at the heart of things is really key. Gathering is a good habit. And Haggai begins to speak into this stuff to people who'd been holding back from it. Ezra tells us they'd had seasons in their life when they'd actually been really passionate about this. If you read in the book of Ezra chapter 1, you'll see there that when they first come back, there's a great passion to rebuild the temple. 
There's a, a giving of themselves and of their resources. But by Ezra chapter 4, they've only reached foundation sort of level and it stops. It grinds to a halt as people begin to get discouraged, as people begin to get frightened, as people begin to become frustrated. And kind of 18 years of indifference slip by and the temple isn't rebuilt. And that's where Haggai picks up the story. Verse 1, in the second year of Darius, the king in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now for thus says the Lord of hosts, consider... Your ways. Would you turn to the person next to you this morning and say, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You clothe yourselves but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house. Why? that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth withheld its produce. And I've called for drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their laborers. The first point I want to share with you today is this. When gathering is taken away or attacked, a stay-at-home way of life or mentality can set in. God wasn't saying to them it's wrong to have a home. No way. The problem was that actually staying home had become the people's focus. The focus has actually shifted from the corporate life, from the we to the me. And actually what they begun to do was want to kind of get more focused on personal comfort, on personal ease. And verse 9 tells us they got busy building their own lives when there was a call of God upon them to rebuild the temple life. God and gathering had begun to be pushed way down the list, the to-do list, way down the priorities. And God says, you say that now is not the time to build the house of the Lord. God is saying to them here right now, actually something has begun to crept in, which is me and not we. But Haggai begins to reconnect them with a bigger picture. And he reminds them that actually they are part of something much bigger than themselves. Verse 8, he says, I want you to go up and I want you to take part in this and I want you to begin to rebuild this place that I may take pleasure in it, verse 8, and that I may be glorified. Friends, the number one goal of any gathering should be that God would take pleasure in it and that he would be glorified. And he begins to reconnect the people. You're part of that story. You're part of this. I want you to rebuild. I want you to regather. Because that temple, he was saying to him, exists for the glory of God. And as we read the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, that's why the church exists today. For the praise of his glory. For the praise of his glory, Ephesians 1 verse 11 to 12. 
I want to share a little quote with you. It's a bit deep, but it's good. This is by John Piper, and he said, Indifference to the growth and spiritual prosperity of the church and its mission is always a sign of failure to love the glory of God. Pretty deep. How many people know with me this morning, Jesus loves his church? He loves his church. And so Haggai begins to call them back. Guys, I'm calling you back to God's values. You've been through a confusing season where you've been held captive. You've been through a confusing season where things have been taken away from you. You've been through a confusing season where you've never really known whether you're coming and going. But I'm calling you now. He said, I'm calling you back to God's values. And I imagine Haggai, the prophet of God, walking the streets and the alleyways of Jerusalem, just crying out, come back. It's time to rebuild. Regather. It's time to rebuild. And he begins to make sense of some things for them that actually when God's values slip in our values, it has a a wider impact on our life. Because what we see is that the gathering of God's people, the opportunity to gather and honor God, was key to a productive and satisfying life. It was key to the blessing of God being released. And in this period where it had been neglected, God begins to say, you know, you... You, you looked for much and it came to little. The heavens have withheld the dew. The earth has withheld its produce. It goes on to say some similar stuff in chapter 2, verse 16 through to 17. How did you fare when one came to a heap of 20 measures? There were but 10. When one came to the vine fat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. He's saying you're living through actually a sense of like there's an unproductive, is that even a right word? An improductive, unproductive Anyway, it's not very productive. (laughs) Unfruitful, kind of dissatisfying, kind of, it's like he's saying like, it feels like life is always coming up short. Friends, that's because ultimately as the people of God, we are to be connected to a bigger story than ourselves. We're here for the Lord. We're here for the lost. We're here to to, want to be a people who bring him glory. And the most fulfilling life that releases God's blessing is that when God is at the heart of the agenda, when God is at the top of the list of priorities. And it's interesting that actually in the face of what everything the world would say, you would need to find fulfillment and to be productive, i.e. build your own life, do the things that you want to do, leaves them in a place where they feel like they're coming up short. Because, my friends, God made us for community. God made us. That's why this season has, there's been some good in it, don't get, but one of the biggest, most damaging things is it forced an isolation. And, and I admit, I would have made mistakes along the way as I've led church through this season. And, and, you know, I'll have to stand before God before that. And I know I will have done. And I know I would have made some wrong decisions. But, you know, from the get-go, God says something very interesting, didn't he? He said this, it's not good for man to be alone. We're not made for isolation. We're made for community. I love this quote that I read by Jared Cooper, and he said this. He said, it's the banana that leaves the bunch that gets eaten. (laughs) It's the banana that leaves the bunch that gets eaten. There's something about our togetherness. Now I know for some, and uh, it's not easy to preach some of these kind of messages, especially with the things that are going on in the world. And, you know, I know for some right now, holding back from gathering as has been or is continues to be a health and safety kind of thing, a health issue or a safety issue. And, 
You know, as I recently heard someone say, and I echo that, you know, if that is you, take as long as you need. Take as long as you need. But I want to say this. Friends, if you're staying home for any other reason, I believe God wants to say to you this. Don't say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. It's time to regather and rebuild for God's glory. I read a thing recently called Church on the Sofa, and it went like this. Church on the Sofa is nice, but as church attendance numbers fade across the nation and online services become very convenient, who doesn't love not getting ready in the morning or leaving the home? It's important to remember why your church attendance for you and your family matters so much. You can't serve from your sofa. You can't have community of faith on your sofa. You can't experience the power of a room full of believers worshipping together on your sofa. Christians aren't consumers either. We're contributors. We don't watch, we engage. We give, we sacrifice, we encourage, we do life together. The church needs you and you need the church. Wherever you are, find a local church where you and your family can be part of community and use your talents to advance the kingdom and reach others. To come alongside one another physically, not just through a screen. While I'm grateful for technology to keep people connected that physically can't come to a facility or need to be away, it's absolutely not like being in the building and never will be. Yes, church on the sofa is nice, but it will never be the same as church in the sanctuary. As my friend Matt Richards say, if you can't say amen, say ouch. I want to say to others, don't get into bad habits. We'll be here one week and not the next. You know what? People have to work. We all need holidays. There'll always be genuine reasons and times when we can't make it. I appreciate that not everyone who comes to church here might have a saved husband or wife and, and family. And I completely understand that some of, for those, some people that circumstances can be different. different. But friends, we mustn't become casual about if or when we show up together. Five times God says to him here, give careful thought, consider your ways. God's saying values and priorities. You know, the Bible says that when you were saved, you became a member of the body of Christ. Has anyone else ever had that thing happen to them in their life when a certain part of their body just decided it didn't want to work like it should do? It just decided it wasn't going to show up like it ought to have done. And so I went through a period where you probably have seen me hobbling around on stage because I had about 14 weeks of sciatica. And it was proper painful in the early days. And towards the kind of, uh, as it improved, we were on holiday and uh, we were in Cornwall and uh, I needed to nip to the loo. And uh, the family had gone ahead, and by the time I got ahead, I said, just go on, I'll catch you up. I'm coming out for a couple hundred yards. I thought, I'll just try and run. I haven't been able to run for ages, you know. And, and so I thought, oh, I'll, I'll just try a little run. And as I set off to run, it was like this leg didn't want to come with me. And it was like I was dragging a dead leg. You see, I needed every part of my body to show up, to function properly, to be able to run, to reach its full potential. That's not a great deal at the moment, but... To be able to kind of get up to speed, I needed my part of that part of my body to show up. When that part of my, when my leg decided I'm not showing up for you today, Daryl, it inhibited me. It held me back. I can't turn you to a scripture in the Bible that says, in quote, weekly attendance is required, but I can turn you to a principle that I believe the Bible teaches. And that's for the church, the church body, to function properly. All of its body parts need to show up. 
need to be present and working. That those who love Jesus and have a desire to serve him show up and play their parts. And Haggai begins to remind the people the call that's upon them, the sense of purpose that they carry as the people of God. Secondly, when gathering is taken away or attacked, there needs to be a fresh call to action. Verse 7 through to verse 8. Consider your ways, go up the hills, bring your wood, build the house. We've covered that already. Nicky Gumbel said this, visions don't work unless you do. In other words, we have to put vision into action. There's a brilliant blend through the book of Haggai of vision and action. People catching a vision, stepping up to play their part. Friends, it's time to get involved. In this rebuilding season, I sat in the office just the other day, Poor Bridget was trying to sort out the church rotors. It is a humongous juggling act. Trying to man everything through church. And do you know why, friends? Because we've got so many people doing, this, doing multiple things. I can't put them there because they serve on that rotor, so I need to put them there. No, I can't get them to do that because they needed on that this week. Friends, I, we've got a small number of people doing a lot. We need more doing less than less doing more. Serving hearts are key to rebuilding well. I want to encourage you to think about that. Consider your ways are the areas of church life where you can get involved. So we haven't got some people spinning multiple plates and juggling multiple balls, but we've got more doing less rather than less doing more. Chapter 2, verse 5 in the message says, Yes, get to work, for I am with you. The God of the angel armies is speaking. Put into action the word I covenanted with you when you left Egypt. I'm living and breathing among you right now. What does this bit say? Don't be timid. Don't hold back. 18 years of inactivity, but God was calling them, rise up and get involved. And the key thing was they did that. Actually, they responded to what God was saying to them. Verse 10 talks about how they obeyed. They heard God speak, but as they heard God's message, they responded. You know, I've said it many times from this pulpit, but I'll say it again. Our response and obedience to what we hear God saying is crucial. It is critical. Absolutely critical, because I have to be honest, so many times I've, I've heard good messages and thought to myself, I ought to do that. And I've walked out the door and I've not followed through and I've not acted on what I felt God was saying to me. But great things become possible when we put into practice what we hear. Good intentions don't get the job done. I've been so challenged by that again lately, what I, what I say versus what I do. And having a vision here meant seeing a call, get to work, Haggai saying to him, there are things that need doing. There's a call of God upon your life. There's a purpose. And God and Haggai saying, God is calling you out of your comfort zone to get involved. Lastly, when gathering is taken away or attacked, fresh hope needs stirring. Verse 13 to 14 says this, Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Shealtiel governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of people. 
Four game-changing words that every one of us needs to hear in a season where God is calling us to regather and rebuild. I am with you. I am with you. Chapter 2, verse 4 to 5. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. Friends, we've lived through a fearful season. In some respects, of course, I understand that we're still in it. But I believe we can rebuild on what premise? That God says, I am with you. Wow, three people in the house believe that this morning. God says, I am with you. And God stirs them. And as I read this, I felt God saying, we need a stirring again. We need a stirring, and a stirring was a work of God. It's not about a preacher just trying to give you a kick up the proverbial bottom. It's not about that. It's not about effort and, and energy and me just trying to call all them, to, all them things to place. I love that as they proclaim the message that God was giving them, that it says here that God stirred them in their spirit. God got to work. It was a work of God. God began to stir their spirits. That word in the Hebrew means he began to rouse them and awaken them and incite them and raise them up and lift them up and excite them. The root meaning there, it means to cause the idea, the idea is the cause of, to cause the opening of eyes, to wake them up. And it begins to say that God began to do this in their spirit. And we are body, soul, and spirit. We are one person made up of three parts. Thessalonians talks about that. Your physical body, the physical part of you, your five senses. I trust you know what they are and I don't need to tell you today. Then there's your soul, your mind and will and emotions. It's who you are as a human. But then there's your spirit. And your spirit is the part of you that's able to connect and communicate with God. And the spirit's function is spiritual. And you can't use it unless you love Jesus and you've accepted him by faith into your life and you believe him and he lives in your life. You cannot connect with God through your spirit unless that has happened. But it's, it's symbolic of my relationship. It's the way I commune and communicate with God. And so I put all this together and it says God stirred and roused and awoke and incited and raised and lifted up and excited what their relationship with him. Friends, I want to ask you this morning, has your relationship with God got cold? Does it need to feel a touch of excitement again? Does it need stirring and rousing and awakening and lifting up? Do you need God's touch upon your life to bring an enthusiasm upon you again? Have you gone indifferent to the things of God? Have you gone indifferent to church? It happens. Let's be real. It happens to us all. It's happened to me. You say, what am I going to do about this? That's the problem. What am I going to do about this? What about what God can do about it? Friends, there is a touch from God that can stir you and excite you and infuse you again. We're talking today about personal revival. We're not talking about something that's manufactured. We're talking about the touch of God. New Living Translation says, The Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel. Is your enthusiasm there for your relationship with God today? Is your enthusiasm there for church? Or has it dwindled in this difficult season that we've lived through? 
Friends, if part of this rebuilding, I believe that God wants to touch some people with a personal revival. That some of us who feel our relationship with Him is not where it needs to be. That yet again, God can stir it and rouse it and awaken it and incite things and raise things and lift us up and excite us and infuse us. I believe God can do it. Three of us believe it again today. Man, you're a tough crowd to preach to today, church. I'm trying everything up here by the grace of God to preach it. Why do we need it? Because there's times we get discouraged and disillusioned and they're like, man, God says to him, and you have to read it in your own time, I ain't got time. Chapter 2, verse 1 to 9. God says to him, you know, some of you here, you know, you're disillusioned. How among you has seen the, the house in its former glory? Chapter 2, verse 2. How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? They're saying we're discouraged and disillusioned, God, by the way things are. Actually, it doesn't look like it used to look like life doesn't, and church doesn't look like it used to when we had Solomon's temple that was glorious and beautiful. Morale's low because they're looking around saying it just doesn't look as big or as impressive or as well-resourced as it did before. It's smaller and feels inferior. So easy in this season to look around and focus on who we've lost and what we've lost. Church looks different and it feels smaller. You know, sometimes people say comparison can motivate you. I think nine times out of ten it can also kill things. We begin to look around and go, oh gosh, it's not like it used to be and I'm not like I used to be. And Haggai says, let me remind you of the promises of God, both for the future kingdom of God and for this temple. Band, can you come back please? He says, it's nothing in your eyes. But verse 9, he says, let me tell you what's happening in my eyes. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. He says, you say it's nothing. You say it's shrunk. You say it's smaller. You say it doesn't look like it used to do. You say you've lost people. We've lost resources. We've lost things along the way. But God says, let me tell you what I see. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. He's saying to them, you've got to see your greatest days lie ahead of you. So yes, we can look around and see empty seats. Yes, we can look around and see people who we may have lost along the way. Yes, we might say, well, within practically, we haven't got the resources that we had before and all that jazz. And we can look at that and say, oh, God, it's not like it how it used to be. Or we can hear God saying to us, come on, son. Come on, daughter. Your best days lie ahead of you. Come on, church. We've got to rise up and believe that because if not, we'll pack up. Because they become discouraged and they got disillusioned. That's what happened before. They down tools. If we don't believe it, we might as well pack up. But friends, I'm all in for rebuilding because I believe our best days still lie ahead of us. Friends, there are unfulfilled promises over your life. There are unfulfilled promises over this place. Lisa Bevere says, God speaks to who we are becoming, not to who we've been. He calls forth destiny rather than echo history. There may have been a lot of messy, difficult things that have happened in the past in your life, in this building, whatever, in church, through this season. But let me tell you, friends, God wants to speak to who we're becoming, not just what we've been. He wants to call forth destiny rather than echo history. It doesn't matter physically what it looks like. The most that's not the most important thing. The most important part of the temple is God's presence. Why don't you stand to your feet with me?
I've, I've been in crummy, run-down huts in Brazil that had nothing than a guitar that had four out of six strings upon it. I stood in a really poor camp in India where you had to wait for your heating to be, your water to be warmed up in the morning and slept on a metal rock-hard bed with a, an excuse for a mattress. Guys playing four strings, and even those four weren't in tune. Equipment was naff and kept cutting out. Buildings were crummy. Facilities were poor. But the presence of God was incredible. Because it's not about what it physically looks like. It's about building for the glory of God. Friends, we've got to learn to build again towards what God is going to do in this place. 500 years later, Jesus walked the very courts of this temple. Filled them. As I close, I want to speak these words over you from verse 4 through to 5. Yet now be strong, declares the Lord. Be strong. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord. It's time to be strong and rebuild. It's time to get to work and rebuild. It's time to not just be a people of prayer and worship and the word, but to get up and do what God's saying to us to do. He reminded the Israelites I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt. God wants to remind us today of the great things we've seen him do. See him do before. It's time for courage in this rebuilding season to not let fear hold us back, but overcome those fears because God is with us. Let's rebuild in the expectation of faith. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. We've got to believe it. It's the fuel for rebuilding. God says, I'll supply all you need, the silver and gold. You read it in your own time. I'll take care of it. I'll deal with the resources. But he says, I need willing hands. Be filled with expectation. The last time they'd set out to build, chapter 2, and this is really the end, verse 18 through to 19. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since that day the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider... Is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. Do you know, God is eager to bless. He couldn't wait. When they took their first responsive and obedient steps to what God was saying to them, it's like God couldn't contain himself. When he sees the people rise up and step out, it's like he can't contain himself. Then he got a foundation down, so God's like, I've got to release my blessing. As we begin to take our steps of, of, of response and obedience, God is eager to bless. I want to imagine and visualize how God could be even more glorified in this church today than he ever was in the past. Hallelujah. Let's just worship God together for a moment. Thank you, Jesus. And let's sing together. I just want to pray for us all. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.